Welcome to today's episode of Juicing the Numbers, your statistics and sports podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Tracy, and I'm riding it solo today. Just me, myself, and I, in little De La Soul style, as uh, Corwin Heller will be out for the whole week, leaving me solo. Um, it is 7.15 here on the East Coast. I am uh, relatively just back from the Yankees game, sunburnt to shit. Um, what the the Knicks on hosting a playoff game? Can you fucking believe that? Um, as the Yanks took a series sweep walk off win against the uh, Chicago White Sox, which sucks. Since well, it's great because I'm a Yankees fan first and foremost, but it also sucks because if you listen to this podcast, you know I am a big White Sox second team fan. Um, but hey, first team first, you know what I'm saying? So happy to have it. It's going to be a short episode anyway, because I got other shit to do because my whole day is gone. Because, uh, <laughs> um, man, I had hit a lot of traffic on the major Deacon. <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, and I just got I just got other shit to do. Plus, corn in here. So it's going to be a shorter episode. That's life. You get what you can get sometimes. So uh, anyway, let's talk about uh, let's talk about this Yankee sweep, because uh I just came from the game. Actually, I wanted to, to talk a little bit about what it's like going to a game um, because it's weirdly a different experience now. You know, um, so this White Sox series, this was a home Yankees first homestand in a little bit, maybe like a week or so, two weeks. And it's wild to think about how much has changed since they were last home. Because when we, my girlfriend and I, when we bought these tickets, the... Yankees still had the like you had to wear your mask the whole time unless you were eating, you know, uh, you had to show the vaccine card, had to prove a negative test if you didn't have your vaccine card. Um, and you know, a, a little bit more tightness around the, the COVID scenario. And now, this homestand was the first homestand where they were saying you don't need to show positive or a negative test anymore, you don't need to show your vaccine card anymore, and you don't have to wear your mask when you're at your seat at all. Um, we still wore our masks in and out and uh, most people were, there were some that weren't, um, but it was really interesting. Cause like, you know, I have my, I, like I kept my mask on like my forearm, just like have it there for, if I needed it, I went to the bathroom. I wore my mask, um, went to get food, wore my mask. Um, but it's weird not wearing the mask in the best way. It felt very normal. This felt like a very normal day. And I was kind of in awe of it because I'm not used to having that normalcy. And so it um, it was, and I think that's what baseball can provide is I think it can be like a litmus test (laughs) for um, how life is going. You know, it's it's, it's been talked about a lot, not just here, like on this show, but in the ether of media about the, what baseball is and what it can be representative of in American society. And I think there is oftentimes parallels between the way, the sport is going and the way the nation is going as weird as that is, there is some level of ingrained 
kind of connectivity between the ongoings of American society and the sport of baseball. Um, and it's been talked a lot about with like race relations having to do with uh, integration of the game happening at a very pivotal point in the United States history and uh, labor relations as it pertains to free agency in the seventies, a lot of stuff. Um, and this, it felt like another example of it because this was the first time my girlfriend and I had gone anywhere and didn't have to wear our mask. It wasn't like our, my, my grandparents' house who are, who've been vaccinated for a while. My parents' house, you've been vaccinated for a while. Like her family's houses that, that have been vaccinated for a while. Like, so the first thing you know, is we went to, we've been to a couple of restaurants where, you know, like you wear the mask in and, you know, we'd wear it when like, we ordered cause we felt weird and then, you know, take it off to eat. It was, and, you know, it's not like that. Cause it, it, you know, I don't know how to describe how it's different, but it's, it, it was different because it felt, I know I keep saying it felt normal, but it felt so normal in such a familiar and right way. You know, like a lot of times I forget that the mask was on my forearm because, you know, you'd go, it's like a three hour, four hour stretch of my day where I wasn't having to wear it. And I was around other people. And I was also surprised by how comfortable I was with that. You know, we'd been taking this every time I gesture back. If you are watching this on, on like, I guess YouTube, um, I'm, I'm referencing my girlfriend, even though she's nowhere nearby. Um, you know, we, we took this shit very seriously. We did not leave the house for very long stretches of time. Um, you know, we, we avoided our own families for a significant period of time. We really didn't do anything work from home, the whole nine. And, you know, so it, when I say I felt comfortable, I, I mean, it really is me going from what at least feels like to me and what seems to be based on some of my friends and peers, um, probably the, one of the more rigid people in my circle uh, about the restrictions. Really, it, it really felt comfortable, which I just wasn't expecting it to be such a quick turn, which I guess is what's taking me by surprise, because if you think about it, you know, it, it's going to be, and Yankee Stadium is going back to 100% capacity pretty soon. I actually thought it was supposed to be this past week, but it was still pretty empty. And I'm, I'm just not sure if that's a catch up with the ticket sales kind of thing or kind of what that whole deal is. But regardless, you know, it, it's happening. It seems like it's happening really quickly anyway. And I would have been really concerned maybe is the word two months ago that's what we were saying on our way in you know like the people who were taking the temperatures at the stadium and they didn't really seem to give a shit which is fine like i didn't really give a shit and so it was and my girlfriend and i made mention of that we were like they didn't give a shit and as you know we were saying like we both agreed like honestly we don't give a shit and two months ago we probably would have given a shit two months ago we probably would have been like oh fuck like are we doing the right thing like they don't seem like they're really trying very hard here and uh no who cares now, like, that's where at least we are at, her and I. And, you know, to, to get into the stadium and to have, you know, roll call, and we were sitting right by the bleachers, so we were able to participate in roll call and to give a ton of shit to Jake Lamb. I don't know if any of that shit made it into any broadcast, but <laughs> our section was given a very hard time to Jake Lamb, who was really enjoying himself. Uh, he turned around and laughed and 
gave some shit back to everybody. Some fucking like eight year old kid thought that everybody giving Jake Lamb shit was hysterical. And so he like walked down this eight year old kid, like seemingly by him fucking self, walked down to the, the first row and just started killing Jake Lamb. And he turned around and he was like, what the shit? Um, he was, he's a really good dude. Uh, but anyway, um, it, it just felt so like it always is. And I, I didn't know I needed that, which was interesting because, you know, again, it's, it's like if everybody there was very, very concerned, it would make at least me feel concerned by extension. You know, like if you walk into a room and everyone's dead fucking quiet and, you know, it has a very much so like who died kind of energy, like a very like somber kind of energy, you would, you know, see that, understand it, hopefully, um, or if you don't have any type of social awareness issues or I don't know, trying to not say like, you know what I mean? Um, you, 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 you would you know, receive that feeling and you go like, Oh shit, I should be quiet too. I should be concerned or somewhere as well. You know, like there, there'd be some secondhand experience of that feeling. And so to not have that was actually really nice. Not, and I, it might sound obvious, but like I've been, I've been the concerned one for so long that not having anybody else be concerned and not being concerned myself, kind of just letting, getting the chance to like let that shit go was a wonderful experience. Uh, I think Yankee Stadium staff did like a great job and, and you know, everybody involved in making this um, a reality within the Yankees organization and the city of New York. Um, great job. <laughs> firm pats on the back to you um but it's it's just so wild how you know last march shit really got shut down and like here we are a year later in may and it seems to be popping up super quick but the reason it got shut down so fast was because there was a catastrophe and the reason it's going up so quick is that we're just doing a good job of everyone kind of doing their part to do what you got to do and you know i know i'm waxing poetic a little bit about it but it, it's First off, how can you not be romantic about baseball? Uh, <laughs> and, you know, and then the other part of it is like, we fucking earned this, you know, like this is the reward for society behaving itself. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy. I'm proud, man. It's, it's cool shit. Um, plus, the game was great. And that's the other thing I wanted to talk about with it, you know, very, very briefly is that um, I left my scorecard in my backpack. I don't know where it is right now. Not within arm's reach, so it's not worth mentioning or searching for it not a lot of strikeouts in the game and it's something i didn't realize until maybe like the fifth inning but um you know what actually i'm gonna look up the box score real quick because i i don't it i don't think there was um very many strikeouts in the game which was more fun (laughs) um or at least added a lot of enjoyment to it because you got to see all, you know, the field. It was a very small ball game, which I thoroughly enjoyed. And I was, I guess, expecting uh, 16 strikeouts in the game altogether. Sorry, I was doing the Googles, um, which really, honestly, isn't that many. So we consider there's 65 at-bats in the game. So 65 at-bats, 16 strikeouts. That's not very many. Um and, you know, 
I, I totally get. I've been to some high strikeout games. You know, they're very common. It's very easy to find a bunch of them. Uh, in, in this particular game, only two people struck out more than once. Tim Anderson struck out twice, and Miguel Andujar struck out twice. And that, oh, Ed Gardner struck out three times. Sorry, I missed Gardner. Uh, and then that, that, then that's it. The rest of the, the action took place on the field. People, you know, like hitting balls around and like having to, you know, field and do shit and get double plays and all that wacky nonsense. And it made for a fucking blast. And I totally get why MLB would want to get back to that. And I get why people also don't care because strikeouts are also their own brand of excitement. Um, but I have to say, like being at the ballpark, I think I... I like the small ball part of it more in the stadium because there's more shit to cheer for. There's more action for you to get involved with as a in-house participant, especially because strikeouts are way more fun at the ballpark. If you're very close and we had outfield seats and it's not to say, and we had really good outfield seats. You know, they were really actually, I'm so shocked. We got, we paid like under a hundred bucks a ticket. It was amazing um, for like really good seats. And it, it lets you feel like you're more engaged with what's happening because it, it draws you in. Whereas a strikeout, if you forget the count, which will happen to you at a stadium because you'll be like, Hey, like, you know, Oh, I missed this thing. Or like, you want to go get like a hot dog or like some, some shit's going to come up and you might like miss a strike. And then all of a sudden you hear like the, and it's like, oh fuck! Oh hey! Oh shit! I, I missed a, I missed two balls and a strike. How did I miss three entire pitches? I was just, I turned away for three seconds. Which is the other funny part about going to a game live is that it happens way faster. Um, but regardless, um, I, I so anyway, I totally totally get why MLB would want that back or more so a part of the game. Uh, I don't have any solutions for you here. Uh, but I get it. I got to say, it was also fun beating Tony LaRusso <clears throat> by way of the small ball. Because fuck that guy. And I'm happy to say we got a little t- fuck Tony LaRusso chat going in uh, Section 104. It was fun. It was a good time. Nobody likes that guy. Um, oh, it was a good scene. He's an awful manager. And that's the other very confusing part. Um, leaving Dallas Keuchel in as long as he did today uh all right you know he he he, would, he didn't have his best stuff but you know your starters got to make his starts and and you know he was able to to push four innings uh it was an ugly four innings but he got through it and you know like what over 100 pitches i believe 100 even um the rest of what happened after that absolute fucking nonsense a no fucking clue every single move he made was truly bizarre why wait until the game is tied and bases are loaded to bring in your best closing or your best relief pitcher. And it's, and it's like, if anybody has ever talked to old baseball people or if anybody's ever read um, Ben Lindbergh's book, uh, the only rule is it has to work um, where you hear the expression, the closer of the closer because he closes, which is all over that book. And it's very frustrating. Um, not on the part of Ben Lindbergh, on the part of some of the people he was working with in the creation of that book. Um, you know, you, I get it. The guy is supposed to get the last 
one to five outs of the game. Understood. At the same time, if the most important outs take place before that, fucking do that shit. Why even spend the energy to force your closer to come in bases loaded, which I'm sure he almost never has to do because usually closers get the start of an inning. They get a clean inning. A lot of the time, not always. Sometimes you get some runners on. Sometimes you got to come in in the eighth, one out, two guys on. Shit happens. But you know what? That's the eighth. That ain't the ninth. That's fucking hard. You know, it, it, it shouldn't matter too much, theoretically, when you come in and with how many outs and with how many guys on base. But at the end of the day, people have to throw the ball and people experience their emotions and their stress levels differently under different circumstances than everybody else. Oh, and it just seemed like such a mistake when it happened. Uh, everyone was confused at the ballpark when it happened. Also, I don't know if anybody watched the broadcast, but there was a guy that got kind of in the way of catching Andrew Vaughn's home run, I believe. Uh, that was also in my section, and that guy got roasted so bad <laughs> a cop had to come and just, like, make sure that no one started some shit because the bleacher creatures were harassing this man <laughs> so hard. And he just sat down on his phone trying really hard not to look <laughs> That guy's a fucking idiot. Look, man, I get the temptation. The ball is coming at you. I've been coming to baseball games for 30 years. I've never had a home run ball come to me. Back the fuck up. Back the fuck up. Back the fuck up. Zach Hampel was also in my section, and he didn't go after it. Back the fuck up. Let the outfielders do the outfielding, at least when it's your team that's playing defense. They need to catch that. Oh, man. That was fucking wild. That was fun. Uh, but anyway, it was, a, it was a blast being back at the ballpark. I almost said it was a ball being back at the ballpark, and I had to stop myself from saying that because that is a wacky sentence. Um, and it was just truly wonderful. So I just wanted to share the experience. Um, all right. So anyway, so this, again, this isn't going to be a like super long episode or anything since I am flying solo. So just a few other topics going on around the MLB. Uh, Willie Adamas got traded. Willie Adamas and Trevor Richards got traded um, from the Tampa Bay Rays to the Milwaukee Brewers. Uh, they, the Brewers receive um, JP Fires, Fires, Fireisen. I thought I knew how to pronounce that. And there was a couple letters there. I did not know. Um, yeah. JP Fireisen and Drew Rasmussen. Now, the only reason I felt like bringing this up is that it's kind of wild that the Rays have an excess of shortstops. And it's also interesting because the Brewers, it seems as though they haven't had a true starting shortstop in a couple years. I'm trying to think of the last, like, starting shortstop it's i feel like the brewers really had and not a single name is really coming to mind and it's been a part of bad luck for them and whatnot and it doesn't really matter but it's interesting to see the rays have such an excess because it just doesn't seem like that happens very frequently typically shortstop is a tough position to field because it requires a, a a very strong uh, 
defensive capability. And that is sometimes difficult to pair with a strong offensive capability. And Willie Adams has had an up and down career so far to start, but he's been a rather capable guy. So I get that, but down the pipe, you know, let's just actually, I just want to look up Tampa Bay Rays um, uh, farm system because they have, Oh wait, that's their like affiliates. I don't need that shit. Um, because they, they still have Wander Franco who has been just fucking chilling in the minors for a while when it's been regarded as him being one of the best shortstop prospects, but they also have capable of playing shortstop Vidal Brujan, uh, Javier Edwards and Taylor Walls and Greg Jones. Now Taylor Walls ended up being the guy who got called up. There was questions about whether it would be uh, Wander Franco and, and Wander Franco is supposed to be, so good that they're probably just going to manipulate the shit out of the service time so that they can not pay him for as long as they can not pay him for. Um, but it is a fascinating position for the Rays to be in, especially because the Rays make their money. They find their success on the back of trading young guys that they don't need or don't need as bad as the piece that they are trying to acquire or they're trying to find some arbitrage and skill somewhere. And that I think is an underrated position for them to be in because that's such a fucking important position. It's like, imagine you had, and it would never happen because you don't trade really, really good pitchers unless you absolutely have to. But imagine you had like eight MLB ready pitchers in your farm system like starter quality bullpen if they have to ready guys, which also again, again, you probably wouldn't trade and it'd be super unrealistic, but imagine like the power, the trade power that that is, that you can acquire basically whatever you need because you are so dense <laughs> at one of the most important positions on the diamond. That's a like, if you have a farm system chock full of corner outfielders, Okay, there's a lot of corner outfielders in the in the MLB, man. You got a, you got a farm system full of uh, first basemen. Okay, there's a lot of first basemen in the MLB. Good shortstops, good pitchers, and good catchers. That's where it's at. That's tough. That's really really again all all baseball is tough. <laughs> baseball is a hard sport, but. It's a, it's a lot of swinger dick around power that the Rays are going to have when it comes to wheeling and dealing, which they're already really good at finding value as a as a construct, finding value out of what they have. They're very good at scouting themselves in addition to scouting other teams and then making moves correspondingly um, outside of moving Jay Cronenworth. Just kidding. He's actually – they didn't need him. <laughs> um, but – so it'll be it'll be interesting to see what they can do with not just great team scouting combined with great you know their like personal player personnel scouting and external player personnel scouting, but also having such important depth positions uh, or positions of depth at such a high value position and seeing what that does for them because this is a very hurt team. I mean, I mean, they they they've they've got a ton of players on the IL. A lot of their pitching staff has, has landed on the IL. Rich Hill has been surprisingly durable for them. Um, but a lot of their their uh, 
their bullpen throwers have, <laughs> have landed on the IL. So it'll be interesting to see what they, if, if they do anything at the deadline. Obviously, right now they're positioned very well in the standings in, um, in the AL East. Uh, they're currently uh, one game back of the Red Sox. I haven't looked at today's scores outside the, the Yankees. I, I'm dead inside and out. Uh, so they are they're right there. They're in they're in trade acquisition territory. They're they're in building territory. You know, if they were struggling and way, way sucking dick, then maybe oh, I mean it's still only May. But regardless, Tico to me. They 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 are in a standings position to go out and make an improvement somewhere on their own behalf. And they have so much depth to do it. It's a very interesting position for them to be in. Um also excited for Billy Adamas. Uh, Milwaukee seems like a really cool city. It seems like he'll probably get a decent amount of starting time. And I wonder if after um, the Brewers get a little healthier, if he will get traded again, um, which is kind of a wacky thought. Um, but as it stands right now, the Brewers have Luis Urias at shortstop. Um they, and they have Willie Adamas, and I'm I'm trying to think. I, Luis Arias or no? They traded Arias. Oh fuck! Hold on. Yeah, no. So Luis Arias is on the Twins, and I was conflating him with, with Luis Urias. Um, you damn Luises. Uh, but anyway, uh, I think that Adamas is going to be a great fit for that team. And I think that their infield versatility is going to end up being actually a pretty good strength of theirs after everyone gets healthy. But as it stands right now, an infield of uh, Colton Wong, Lorenzo Cain. Oh, sorry. That's, that's the whole depth chart An infield infield of Daniel, <laughs> Daniel Vogelbach, Colton Wong, uh, Willie Adamas, and then Travis Shaw. Um, that's actually a pretty decent infield. Uh, defensively for sure. And then the offense has potential boomer bust, probably a little bit more bust than boom, let's say. Uh, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they do. They don't have to do much to win that division, but uh, we'll, I guess we'll see as it stands right now, they are oh four games back. I forgot that the Cardinals were actually doing well this season. Um, however, the rest of that division is shit. Um, the, they are, one game back of the Cubs, who are sitting 23 and 22, with the Brewers sitting 22 and 23. Wacky. Um, and uh, the Reds are 20 and 24, and the Pirates don't matter. Um, it is an interesting position for the wild card spots in that division or in that conference league. Fuck me. In that league, because you look at the NL East and the Mets. Oh, are on top of the division at 21 and 18. The only team with a positive uh, record uh, or an over 500 record in that, in that division just behind them is Atlanta at 22 and 24, Philadelphia at 22 and 24, and then Miami at 21 and 24. And then the nationals at 19 and 23, but they don't want to win. Uh, <laughs> so it's a stupid expression, but I love it. Um, so anyway, the, Brewers would actually be ahead of Atlanta, Philly, and Miami. So they'd be right behind the Cubs, but you got to go to the West. And that is a bloodbath 
with the Padres currently leading the division 29 and 17, the Dodgers right behind them at 28 and 18 and the Giants right behind them at 28 and 18. So ugh, yeah, that wildcard spot, unless the Giants collapse, which I think is the most likely out of those three, not saying it's likely to happen, just the most likely out of those three teams, um, then man, um, Every central team is going to have a real tough time finding a foothold in the playoffs unless you're the Cardinals. And even then, you're not doing great, which you're not doing horrible. So um, they've been fine. Anyway, moving on. Uh, there was also in MLB this week the 20,000th player um, to make his major league debut. And it is what I remember – when I found out there was only 19,000 and change players in MLB, it was actually like super recent. It was probably like 2017. Um, it feels like both a big and small number because you can look at it and you go like, no, like 19,700 people. Let's just say um, that is a lot of people as a loose concept. You know, like that's not like it's uh, it's a lot of people for a house party. <laughs> it is not many people for a city. It is a lot of people to be stuck in traffic. <laughs> it is it is not a lot of people for a stadium. <laughs> so, you know, it's got an interesting, like, place in, in your mind. But if you think about how many people play baseball, <laughs> you think about how many teams there are and how old the sport is. And you think about, like, you know, the old September um, minor league like system where it was like, all right, you know, the whole 40 man is now all on the bench. <laughs> they're all, they're all here. Everybody's in the bench. And you think about just like how far back this sport goes, you know, 150 years. And we've only gotten to 20,000 players now is really amazing. Cause it really says like, not a lot of people do this. Not a lot of players get this far. Um, and, you know, you think about like these, minor, you know, there's a lot of minor league guys that like you, you, whose names you hear who like never end up making it to the majors. Like they got hurt. Um, they got traded and it just didn't work out. Something, you know, like like some something happened. And and, you know, even though you knew this minor leaguers, random minor leaguers name, they never made it. Um, and, you know, so the fact that like it's still only that number that you could fit all those people into Yankee stadium twice is like, it's, it's, it's like mind blowing. Um, it's a, it's about 133 new players a season. 20,000 divided by 150. Is that the best way of doing it? No, I don't feel like looking that shit up. That's how it is. And you know, it, it, because it's, it's also like there's not as much churn as there is in like football. You know, like if you have a, you know, you'll, you'll get players who have like a three to five year stretch. And that's like a lot of players, not like a few players. Like a lot of players will just have like a three to five year stretch. And then, you know, like then they're out because, you know, they're running back and your knees went or you uh, you got figured out um, and you're just not as effective. Uh, you were a linebacker. You got hurt. Uh quarterback if you weren't like a good quarterback you're just like a guy and then you know just kind of like bounced out you know you were Nate, Nate Nathan Peterson you were just bad and now you're just not in football anymore because you were bad um that happens a lot that happens all the time 
you know, and the rosters are huge. Ooh, all right, hold on. And how many players, Josh, do you think were, uh, as I <laughs> as I address myself, mildly formally, were in uh, uh, and the NFL? Uh, is that a Googleable fact? Um, number of players in NFL history. 26,682 more players. That is more players. And the NFL is not as old as the MLB. That is 6,000 more players. And I bet that number grows much quicker than it does for MLB. Even in today's MLB, where you get more call, when you get a little bit more roster churn than you got 40 years ago, you know, because you just, there's not as much emotional. You don't see like, you know, 40 year old dudes hitting much anymore, but you actually would get that with Omar Vizquel. <laughs> so like relatively recently, um, man, like that is, that is fucking wild. Um, so it's really cool. Anyway, the, 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 the 20,000, 20th, 20,000th, 20,000th player is, uh, Jose Godoy, um, who is uh, a 28 year old player. This was his, uh, is he's been in the major leagues for, um, or sorry, been in the minor leagues, I guess I should say for about a decade. Um, and so it's really quite a story for him to end up finally actually making it to the majors um, and getting to be that recognition of history, because, you know, there's something to be said about a lot of these minor league guys who, you know, grind it out, in the minors dealing with, you know, poverty, um, poor standards of living, poor pay, uh, ev- everything, you know, and this actually, I was actually thinking about the minor leagues um, as a concept this week because uh, Jacob deGrom was rehabbing um, down in Florida with the, the, I guess the Port St. Lucie Mets and they were going up against the, whatever Palm beach, I don't know, uh, Cardinals. And, you know, there was like a Twitter exchange thing where they were having fun with it. Cause Jacob deGrom's pumping gas to like 18 year olds and shit. And it's like, aha, it's so funny. And it is, and yeah, it's a good time. Um, but it's also wild because, you know, the minor leagues to a certain extent, and I'm sure people have thought of this and it's just hitting me now. They're just fodder for rehab starts a lot of the time you know like jose godoy grounded out in the minors which is great for him it is perseverance it is it is strength it is not giving up on a skill set a dream and an ambition and part of the reason he was allowed to do that because not a lot of um autonomy with some of these choices especially given the iron fist of prof, uh, profit that is MLB um, is because he, someone has to catch Jacob deGrom. Someone has to catch whoever's hurt in rehabbing. Someone else has to go catch David Price when, at, when he gets hurt and has to, you know, go to whatever the Dodgers affiliate is. Someone, someone's got to catch Luis Severino when he's down there. You can't just leave that shit abandoned. That's just a sin game. Luis Severino for his rehab start could go out there, pitch three innings, let up 90 runs. No one cares. You feel sore? No? You're good? Arm feels good? All right. Everything else will come later. That's, you know, we just want to make sure that you're, you're, you're hitting your spots. You're hitting your number. You know, like, you know, you're throwing like 97, 
um, the arm doesn't get sore at the end. You know, the rest we'll, we'll worry about um, at, at the facility and we'll hammer out the details of it in the, uh, the gas station, I think is what the ink is calling. Um, it's a fucking sim game to them. It, it, it's not real life after a certain point after you leave it. And it's just there because it's probably the cheapest way to do that. Because if that wasn't there, then you'd have to actually take the time out of your pro player pool, your MLB roster to do that shit. And those guys, even the ones getting paid league minimum, make like a hundred times what the guys in the monitors make. And that is a sad thought. And it is very true. And I, I am sure I, I've heard someone else say it and I'm just like, haven't let it sit with me as much as it did thinking about this Jacob deGrom start because everyone's like, oh, it's so funny. But it's also like, why is an 18 year old living in poverty having to face like MLB talent? Like Jacob deGrom is getting paid hundreds of thousands of dollars to be there just in the time frame that he is down in Port St. Lucie or whatever. Um, those 18 year olds are getting scraps to be a part of his recovery journey. And I understand that's also part of their development. I get that. I get it. But at the same time, what do you think the team, the Mets care about more the development of the other players or even the, you know, the, the Cardinals, the, the organization, the Cardinals, what do you think they care about more the development of their players, the rehabilitation of their starters, I'm going to go the rehabilitation of their starters. And I bet they want to do that as cost effective as possible. So that was a sad thought I had today or this past week thought I would share um, so that we can all be sad today. Aren't we glad? Um, Speaking of the Mets, they have experienced a slew of injuries this season. And I'm not going to go through all of them because honestly, I lost count um, and don't have a comprehensive list in front of me which uh, it feels like you shouldn't need to have because it should be like a small list of players. Um, but the Mets have, have experienced a, a, a large 14. Fuck you. What? Um, Jacob DeGrom, Michael Conforto, Jeff McNeil, J.D. Davis, Brandon Nimmo, Kevin Pillar, Albert Amora, Luis Guillorme, Dellen Batances, Jose Martinez, Carlos Carrasco, Seth Lugo, and Noah Syndergaard. Oh, and um, Taiwan Walker now. Wow. Oh, what the fuck? And they're in first in the division. <laughs> um, anyway, I bring it up because... Sorry, I peeked at the next game. Let's go next. Um, it's been a it's been a thing for all of MLB. It's it's very condensed in the Mets, but it's been a thing across MLB. Mike Trout hit the IL recently. Um, a number of Yankees have, but a lot of Yankees hit the IL anyway. Um, and it really, honestly, compared to the other the rest of the, the leagues and um, just the yeah past couple of seasons for the Yankees, it hasn't been all that bad. But you know. There's, there's been discussion of like how much has the did the shortened season affected, and that is f- fair. Um, I also just wonder, and I, I I have no answers for anything, but you have you have to wonder what the physical limitation on baseball is. I'm not saying that like we've hit it and like we should stop 
letting players play baseball as hard as they can. But it's like, what's the upper end of how fast you can throw a ball? You know what I mean? Because like the incremental increase eventually is going to have to stop because we're going to hit just the apex of velocity that a human body can physically do, you know, and it, it seems to be cutting out at, at 105. You know, it, it's really tough to get there and you don't see a lot of players do it. I can only think of the two guys offhand, uh, Araldus Chapman and Jordan Hicks that I've seen do it. Um, so maybe that's our cutoff, but like, it doesn't stop everyone from throwing as hard as they can, which I'm not saying is a bad thing. And I'm not saying that, you know, like the uh, sellout swings are necessarily a bad thing, but I, I it, it led me to wonder like, what is, what is the top end of what that type of physical production can be? And is it necessary, necessary to hit it? Not that we should or shouldn't, um, but is it needed? You know, like if you, and I'm not trying to sound like old man baseball here, but like, you know, fucking uh, Corey Kluber doesn't throw super hard, but he throws very effectively and that will work for him. However, it's, you know, you'll still get players who are, that might be the hardest Corey Kluber can throw physically. It might not be. I have no fucking clue, but I bet that when he goes and throws that feels really fucking hard to him. And like players coming up will throw very fucking hard. And that's probably the right thing to do. You need to know how you can best because part of the, the idea of putting so much of yourself into your pitches is also just the refinement of the process of you throwing. It's a, it's a refinement of mechanics. It is a maximum efficiency of your movements there's only so many ways you can move yourself. And so to achieve a certain speed of a pitch, 98, hundred, what have you, you're going to have to have such a precision in what you're doing. Then that precision, that repetition, that performance will end up being reflected in velocity eventually. But with all the injuries that we have in baseball, and we're starting to see some adjustments. Um, you know, there's been a, an increase in, um, players shortening their arm slot as a way of um, protecting the elbow to avoid Tommy John surgeries. And like, look, I, you know, I wonder how much this would be a concern if players weren't having to feel as though they had to go a hundred percent capability at all times and that is kind of a dumb thought because it's a sport and like, that's what you do. You play it very hard. I, I guess I'm just wondering what, what the payout is versus what the, like what's the marginal benefit of it would. So to make a comparison, it's not a great comparison, but let's make a comparison. Cause it's the only one I thought of <laughs> when you're golfing which I have, am still learning to do. I just started like last year because it seemed like a thing to do during the pandemic with my friends that was outdoors and not by a bunch of other people. Um, yeah, I feel super white doing it, but like, here we are. So um, let's say like you're just out of the green, I don't know, 10 yards or some shit. Now I can hit a nine iron pretty fucking far because I 
swing hard, I guess. I'm still trying to figure this shit out. Um, but I can I can hit a nine iron pretty far. And it's my lightest club. Iron, I guess. I don't fucking know. Um, and so what I end up having to do if I'm 10 yards out of the green and I want to get closer up to it is I have to take my nine iron and swing it at 40% of my, you know, full swing. You know, you, you still go through the full motion of the swing, but you don't put a hundred, you're not driving, you know, and you're not, you're not even like using a, a three iron from like, you know, still a hundred feet out or whatever. Um, you know, you're only like 30, 20 to 30 feet out. Like you're, you don't need a full power swing. You'll adjust to the distance um, based on the need. And I know that's, it's not a clean comparison to baseball because you are supposed to drive the baseball as hard as you can. I guess I'm, I'm wondering at what point would you ever consider not? And again, kind of a dumb thought, but I always wonder about the upper peaks of things. The same way at some point we're going to hit the maximum echelon of pitch velocity. And you, at some point, some pitchers are going to realize that they're not hard throwing. I'm not the guy to give you 98 miles an hour. And you see those guys all over baseball. You see guys who have, you know, the 93 mile an hour fastball who tried to be a power pitcher and wasn't. And now he lives and breathes off the slider or the curve or whatever. Like those guys are around baseball today. Um, and so, you know, I just wonder, it, does that point come for hitters? You know, do you, do you at some point you have to realize like, I, maybe I don't swing for the fences because I just, I just can't fucking do it. Like everything I hit in the outfield lands three feet, five feet shy of the warning track. Maybe I just need to not swing as hard. I, it, it doesn't, doesn't feel right saying it. So it's probably wrong. Um, but just another loose thought I had, and it's not going to, and not again, I'm not saying that to solve the anything with the injuries. I don't have an answer for that. Uh, it was a, a thought that led to a different thought for me, which is really just how my brain works slash probably how thinking as a concept works. Um, the injuries though is very concerning. I, I'm, I'm not, I don't, I don't get the whole, I get it for pitchers, I guess the whole, like they didn't play very much last year because you don't have the innings underneath you, but to see this many hitters get hurt also Kevin Pilar hit in the face. You're going to miss time for that. That has nothing to do with last season, but like to see guys like, you know, like, like Mike Trout, you know, not be healthy enough to play Jeff McNeil, JD Davis, Brandon Nimmo. Like, like it, it, it's weird with the hitters because it feels like that shouldn't have affected anything, at least not as much. Cause a lot of it is, you know, your swings and your, your, your running, which you can do pretty effectively without it being a true live game. Whereas pitching is a little bit different because the way that you sequence the effort that you throw, the number of pitches you may have to throw, you know, if you're 25 pitches deep in one inning and you've got one batter left, like, and, and it's the first inning and you're the starter, you're going to, you're going to throw that. Like you're going to have to suck up whatever, how many pitches that next at bat is and get through that in all likelihood. And whether that's two pitches or another 10 chances are you're getting hung out to dry and you've got to throw 35 pitches in an inning. However, you probably wouldn't have to do that in, in a bullpen sesh. Uh, you probably wouldn't get asked to throw 35 pitches in a sim game inning, you know? Um, so for the pitching side, I totally, totally get why maybe not having the innings underneath you from last season could be effective, affecting your, your current performance or, or your current health. But with the hitters, I find it odd and I'm not sure I really truly get it um 
it'll yeah it'll be interesting to see how the injury bug kind of shapes out for the rest of the season this could be another thing where it gets very condensed into the beginning of the year and then maybe we have a healthy rest of the season which would be nice because baseball players whether they're from baseball players getting hurt whether they're from your favorite team or your absolutely favorite team is awful like no one should be hurt playing the sport and you know we, we, you want to see players be able to stay on the field and then also be able to guarantee themselves a healthy life after they leave baseball. That's the goal is to not be hurt for your entire fucking existence on the, you know, uh, planet earth. <laughs> um, but it's, um, it's been a ride so far. The Mets again, having been hit especially hard, but I, I, I don't understand really why. And I guess again, we'll see. Cause you know, if, if the Mets end up having like fucking no injuries for the rest of the year, you'll look at it and you go like, and then someone said to you afterwards, like, Oh, you know, Brandon Nimmo had a stint and JD Davis had a stint and um, Jacob DeGrom had a stint and like all these players had stints on the IL. Yeah. Lots of people have players have stints on the IL. Lots of players have stints. Like your whole team's going to hit the IL at some point, usually, especially in today where like, you know, off days are more common. So the idea of being without a certain number of starters or a certain starter in particular for X number of games isn't a very foreign concept. If you have, if you make a 10 day IL stint, you're, you're, and you actually only stay on the IL for 10 days, there's a solid chance you might've had like at least one off day, maybe two in there, depending on who you are um, in your team, your injury history, who your team is, who your opponents are. Like, like there's a lot of factors that might've done be incorporated where you're really not missing that much time if you had a 10-day il stint with two off days in there and then like a scheduled like your team's playing but like your manager said you were off that's three fucking days right there that you weren't going to be playing anyway so it's you're only missing seven games it's not that bad point being if it shakes out that way for the mets you look at it and you go fuck that was a horrible stretch but we're fine and it's weird, but like, it's not endemic of anything within the organization or within the sport. It's just shit got funky. Um, But if it continues, it's like, holy shit, what the hell is happening? Um, Really just priming themselves for another bout of hand, foot and mouth disease. Uh, Any who, any who, Uh, yeah, I don't really think I have anything else to talk about. nothing that grabs me anyway so i'm probably just gonna wrap it up here corwin will also be out for the thursday episode i am sorry he is uh he is a busy man and we could not uh reach him uh snag him book him for the the this week's events so you're stuck riding and dying with me this week but i'll try to make it worth your while uh but anyway uh so i'll wrap it up if you want to follow the show on Twitter, you can do so at Juicing Pod. And if you want to hit, um, I guess, Corwin up on Twitter, you can do so at Corwin Heller. If you want to hit me up on Twitter, you can do so at Joshua D. Tracy. And if you want to uh, send us emails with questions, thoughts, ideas, concerns, bullshit, you can do so at juicingthenumbers at gmail.com. And until Thursday, y'all have a good